0: It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie.
1: Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today's guest, another special guest, I'm very interested on this one. Um, His name is Greg Bargo. Welcome to the show. Hey
2: guys, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Well, Greg, I found you. I was doing some hard rock stalking. <laughs> uh, like we all do, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, I was going through the the golden hour finishers and saw your name popped up and I saw you had an Instagram account and I sent you a message and here we are. Yeah. Uh, you know,
2: I was pretty excited to get into hard rock. Uh, it's, it's been a dream race and I never... F- I guess I never fully expected to be a golden hour finisher, but here we are, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hey, you perks, got... you get invited to a podcast and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I always view it as if you're a golden hour finisher, you just got to spend more time in that beauty, right? Yeah, you got yeah. your
0: mo- full money's worth. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, you didn't waste any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Greg, tell us about your stuff, you know, where you grew up, uh, where you live now what makes you you
2: <laughs> yeah uh i'm originally from texas uh i was born on the border of texas and mexico in a place called laredo texas oh laredo um, yeah and then yeah so <laughs> uh i mean it 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 feels more like mexico than it does america like literally it's 98% hispanic most people speak spanish it's a pretty pretty unique place um and then i was only about i'm the youngest of all the siblings in my family uh, when i was about 1 we moved to austin and so i pretty much grew up in austin texas and um you know a lot of people know about austin nowadays um but i don't know how much people know that it, it is pretty much an outdoor mecca it, it, there's rock climbing there's ra- there's rivers there's lakes um tons of trails people mountain bike people trail run um so i kind of grew up in that but um i was I was not a runner. Um, I loved sports. I grew up in Texas. So, you know, Friday night lights, I I yep. played football. <laughs> uh, I did. Funny thing is I did all the fast Twitch sports. I played football. I, I was a wrestler. Uh, I actually played rugby as well. I uh, played a, I loved, I loved sport. I love competing, um, but I didn't even run like cross country or any that kind of, stuff. I did do track, but I was like 110 hurdles and like all the fast stuff, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but it, Living in Austin kind of shaped my um, viewpoint on like the outdoors and just really loving being outside. Um, I had a mountain bike as a kid and I didn't even know what mountain biking was, but I would find trails and just, oh man, this is cool. It's off in the woods and would just be riding these trails, not knowing, oh, this is actually a thing. Like people come out here to mountain bike and like ride through creeks and rivers. And um, that kind of shaped who I was as a kid. Um, But again, not really ever being like, I'm a cross country runner. You know, I didn't run in college and and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was kind of a journey to get to running and ultra running.
1: So how did you, how did you get into ultra running?
2: So funny thing is being from Texas, there are some mountains in Texas, by the way, not everybody knows it. Uh, Big Bend National Park is way out in west texas and that's where the rocky mountains end is in the very tip of kind of west texas and so the highest point in texas is over eight thousand feet so you get some pretty high altitude um but most other parts of texas there's there's no mountains Um, but i got into mountaineering and um, me and my brother uh, when i was 19 and he's seven years older than me um, we both um, moved to park city utah and uh you know we're training for the sport of skeleton so i don't know if you guys are familiar with skeleton but it's a it's a winter sport and you uh, you hop down a bobsled track on a sled by yourself going head first 80 <laughs> miles an hour and uh makes sense for a kid from texas right <laughs> uh, but uh long story short um we saw this crazy sport we we're like man let's go try that out we have kind of always just been like I could do that. You know, the, in 2000, it was 2002 was the Salt Lake City Olympics. And, uh, the person who won, uh, the golden skeleton was an American. And I think he was like 40 years old or 38 years old or something at the time. We we're like, oh man, that guy's old. Like who's going to be next up in that sport. It could be us. Let's go, let's go try out and see if we can do this. You know, <laughs> And, uh, so we go to, we moved to Park City, Utah to, to train at the uh, bobsled track there. Um, long story short, we didn't make the Olympics, or else I'd probably be way more famous than I am now. <laughs> uh, Would be on the uh, the old Golden Hour
0: Adventures podcast. <laughs>
2: <yeah>. <laughs> it's like people still don't even really know what Skeleton is, too. you know? I was like, what the heck's that? <laughs> yeah. But... um But while we were there, we started to realize we were having more fun doing all the things outside of Skeleton, like, oh, man, there's rock climbing here and there's mountains and there's hiking and backpacking. And uh, so in the off season, we were um, we joined a mountaineering club and I climbed Mount Rainier, you know, I climbed uh, Mount Hood, just these different mountains. Um, And I started to kind of get that bug of, man, I really like mountaineering. And a lot of times that I tell people is, you know, I'll have friends come up to me and be like, oh man, can I go on, a, can I go climb a mountain with you? That looks so fun. And it's because they've seen like Instagram videos or like YouTube videos, or just heard these really cool mountain stories and like, that looks so amazing. But mountaineering is a lot like ultra running where it kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, it, it hurts. And it's like the art of, we call it the art of suffering. Like you got to like to suffer for you know for whatever reason we get out there and it's like oh this is amazing that it that it hurts this bad and it's this beautiful and um so that's kind of what mountaineering was for me i'm like man this is it was like a whole new world and like i didn't even know this world existed but i what really was your, like it what was your tallest mountain you climbed um so denali is kind of the big one Oh, well, you got um,
0: denali the, okay
2: Yeah. Um and that one's brutal. It's yeah, <laughs> it's uh it's a tough one just because you have to carry so much gear. And uh the average time to climb Denali is 20 days, and it took us 20 days up yeah. and down. Um, and you're just out there. We we summited on the fourth of July and it was negative 40 degrees mm. and uh it was. It's brutal. (laughs) Yet the FKT um, is 10 hours. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The the game has changed over the years. Just say that. You know, people (laughs) sleeping in altitude tents and then getting there. No, I'm just going to run up and down it. no big (laughs) deal. But um, honestly, Denali is what got me into running longer distances. Because, you know, like I said, I played football and all that kind of stuff. But I remember being like, I would never run a marathon like that sounded terrible to me. I was like, that doesn't sound fun at all. I would I would never do that, you know. But when I started getting into climbing and you start kind of trail running and, and you're hiking long distances, um, I started to realize how much I liked just kind of being out there. And so when I when we planned to climb Denali, we we're like, how do you train for a mountain this tough and this big? And so we thought of the hardest thing us at the time would be to run a marathon so we're like let's (laughs) run a marathon to train for (laughs) denali yeah and so and it was funny because we were in texas at the time so we run this flat you know fort worth texas marathon we're like this is the hardest thing i've ever done um we finished uh not fast but we finished and um you know to kind of just roll the story forward um i started to really enjoy running on trails and going farther and farther. And I had read Dean Karnazes' book, Ultra Marathon Man. I'd never heard stories like that. I'm like, man, who runs for 200 miles straight? Oh, man, who's, who's... he talks about Western states in the book. Like, oh, that sounds crazy. You started a ski resort and run straight up the mountain at the beginning of the race. You know, And that's <laughs> the first you know five miles of a hundred mile race. And uh, never did I think again, oh, I would probably never do that. But in the back of my head, I was thinking, could I do that? Like, could I actually do that? Um, And so, yeah. And then at the same time, kind of reading about these different races, one of the first ones I ever read about was Hard Rock. And at the time, this was probably like 2004, 2005. So it was a while ago. Um, I read about it and it was much more low key than it is now. Um, And really, people talked about it, how it was this really kind of small and obscure race that was in the most beautiful mountains in Colorado and almost nobody finishes it. You know, it's like nobody ever really finishes this race and it's so hard and it takes like the most grit and the toughest runners out there. And, uh, for me, I was thinking, man, that sounds like the kind of race I want to do because it's in the mountains and it just sounds tough. And with me not having a running background, it's like, you don't have to be fast. You just have to be tough. And I I liked that aspect of it. And I, that's kind of what draw, drew me to ultra running. It's like, I'm not really a runner. I kind of became a runner along the way, because to get into hard rock takes a lot of years. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I became a runner kind of along the way, uh, just kind of training for and getting there. So what uh,
1: what races have you run?
2: Yeah, so I, let's see, the very first ultra I ever did was a 50 miler up kind of in North Texas. And um, shockingly, this race had, I think at the time, it said it had about 10,000 feet of elevation gain. And a lot of people don't realize there are some really good trails in Texas um, and some, some of these states like that, you know, you don't think you're going to find these really amazing trails and actually have some elevation gain. And um, that was the first ultra I ever did. And um, I actually felt pretty good after I was like, man, I finished this thing. I'm not totally destroyed. It was the hardest thing mentally that I'd ever done as far as physical sport, but I finished and I was like, ah, oh, that it didn't totally destroy me. And so <laughs> I was like, man, maybe I could do a hundred miler. And so then kind of naturally from there, I was like, I should go do Rocky Raccoon. It's in Texas and Huntsville, Texas. And a lot of people say it's a really good first kind of hundred to start with. They say it's flat. I always tell people Rocky Raccoon is not necessarily flat. I I want to say maybe there's like six or 7,000 feet of climbing, which in the ultra world is not a lot because everybody keeps amping the game and making it more and more climbing, but it's not flat. And it's actually a ton of Kind of roots and technical trails. Um and so in my mind I was thinking, okay, I did a 50 miler. I feel really good after it. All you gotta do is 50 times two. I could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh you know, long story short, with that one, I did Rocky raccoon I finished and it felt like 50 times three I mean I was just totally destroyed I always I mean, say my, a
0: 50 miler times eight that's the that's my go-to
2: yeah, 50 miler yeah, times yes yeah, probably more accurate <laughs> yeah and um man rocky raccoon I just I was not prepared for that I, I did train really well and all that stuff but that was like a whole other thing hundred mile roots, distance with was... those
0: roots grow every, every lap too. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know how they did it, but yeah, they, they got taller and taller every lap. <laughs> exactly.
2: And I always joke with people too. every hundred miler I've done. It's like the most cataclysmic weather event right beforehand. So mm. the year I did the year I did, I did Rocky raccoon twice, but the first year I did it, um, it had snowed like six to 10 inches or something. Um, the week of the race, you know, we're oh, in Texas, like, come yeah. on, man, you don't usually get snow like that. And, uh, they still went ahead with the race awesome. and the morning, the morning of the race, it was like 18 degrees, something Perfect. like that. And there's this ice all over the trail. And I mean, there's <laughs> even like some boardwalk type, um, yep. bridges across oh, I bet those are super that slick. There were, everybody's falling everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> to me, I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. Like this is, you know, I just, I loved it, but it still, it was just like, man, this is crazy. And, um, so funny thing about rocky raccoon was that very first hundred i did i was the last finisher to finish under the cutoff i knew nothing about like golden hour and all that stuff you know i'm like just get me to the finish line and i'm feeling people are crying oh my gosh can't believe you finished i'm just like let me lay down i don't care you know this is man my knee was hurting like um I had like drop foot on one leg. I was like dragging a leg. I mean, I was just totally destroyed. I'm like, this is not <laughs> what I was expecting. <laughs> um, and you know, like us ultra runners are, we're like, you finish. And you're like, I would never do that. Man. I was laid out on my floor at home for like three days could not walk. And uh, then you're sitting there and like, could I do, could I do another one?
1: Like, could I run it faster?
2: <laughs> like naively, you know, um, so those, that was kind of the first one that I did. And then then that's when the wheel the wheels started turning where I'm like, well, I need to do a hard rock qualifier because that's what I read about. That's what I want to do. I know I could finish the 100-mile distance. <laughs> My friends were joking, you could do 100, but you can't do 101 because I could not walk. <laughs> Once I finished, I was like, I was done, you know? Um, but yeah, the wheels just kind of started turning. I'm like, all right, now I got to do a hard rock qualifier. Um, so I did Leadville 100, Um, that was my second hundred that was the last year it was a hard rock qualifier and then they kind of took that one off the list um I've done grindstone a couple times in Virginia um I did pine to palm out in Oregon which is a really cool race um I've done I'm tough 100 which is in Idaho um and a couple other ones here and there like Pinhoti 100 in Alabama um which one am I missing I'm probably missing some I've done 10 total Oh. Uh, with hard rock now. Nice. Um, but it, at, at one point it was just like, I just got to get one done so I can have my hard rock qualifier. Cause yep. I wanted to do that race. Never did. I think it was going to take me 10 years to get into it. So that's why I'm kind of like, I became a runner at some point during, de- you know, during that stretch. Cause I'm like, I'm, it took me 10 years. And a lot changes in ten years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any kids when I started the process, and then when I ran Hard <laughs> Rock, I had three kids. <laughs> so, what do so you What,
0: what your, do you think about that taking Taking ten years to get into a race? It's. I mean, what are your What are your thoughts on that?
2: From the From the Hard Rock perspective, um, you know they've They've gotten some controversy over the years of people just being like, "I don't think it should be that way." I usually kind of just view it as man that's their race it's their baby they can do with it how they want um i i i appreciate the 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 approach they take um cuz there is kind of something special about that for a lot of reasons but um part of it they say hard rock is a postgraduate race right yeah. and I'll say that is true. It's a (laughs) postgraduate race. Um, If people were just getting in off of one ticket regularly, none of those people would finish. I mean, if I, if I, let's just say I did Rocky raccoon one time and then got into hard rock. There's no way I would have finished that. And I had climbed some big mountains and still it was like, there's no way, man, no way. What I liked about having to do those qualifier and all their qualifiers are really tough races mm-hmm. that it puts you through so many different scenarios. Um, you know, something like weather, man, some of the, some of the hundreds I did, it was freezing cold at night and raining. And you have to have the grit if you want to finish, or you're just going to be like, this sucks. I quit. <laughs> Which I've never dropped out of a, a hundred mile race. That's kind of my thing. i will, like, I tell myself, I'm not dropping. I'm, I'm finishing this thing. And so, but you have to kind of be put in those scenarios and gain that experience. Um, so the fact that you have to do those qualifiers, I really like that. The fact that they're really tough races, the fact that they're similar kind of terrain and elevation gain type stuff as hard rock, they're, they're really preparing you for getting into that race. Um, and then the aspect of, it took me 10 years And there is a a little bit more appreciation once you actually get there. Yeah. Like, this is a big deal that I finally got into it. And then when you actually are running it, you're like, I'm not quitting, man. This took me 10 years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) If you quit and you don't finish, those lottery tickets
1: start over. So there's
2: that. There's that, too.
1: (laughs) So how did you find out? Were you did you watch the lottery party or are you on Twitter watching or you got to tell us a story yeah. about how you got in when you got in?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of the joke with a lot of people, is, you know, now I've talked to a bunch of people who have kind of been in my same situation. It takes years and years after so many years, you know, usually every year you're watching, Oh man, this is the year I'm going to get in. I'm going to get, <laughs> man, but it's been eight, nine, 10 years. You kind of almost forget about the lottery. You're like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting in, you know, I don't need to watch it or I'm not in a rush to pull up the, pull it up and watch it on my phone or whatever. Um, but so again, it, it lottery rolled around in December. I'm like, yeah, we're, we were driving in the car. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll pull it up, you know, and just see, see if I know anybody that's getting into it. What are some of the big names that are getting into the race? And I got pulled really quickly. And so we were driving and my wife's sitting in the passenger seat and she has it pulled up. She's like, well, we got to see if you're going to get in. And, uh, yeah, she's like, you got in. I was like, no, no, not no, <laughs> <it. She's like, laughs> no, you got in. And it, he wrecks like, the car. He's so excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was more just like, kind of just went right. I was like, there's no way, you know? And it was like, then I had, then my phone was like blowing up. People were texting me. Oh man, I can't believe it. Yeah. Congrats. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got in, you know, and it's, so it's all these kind of emotions. You're thinking about, about like, Oh, how long it took and all this stuff. But then you, what immediately popped up was like, Oh crap. Now I actually have to go run this thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I live in Florida now, you know, I, I currently live in Florida and I'm like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to figure this one out? You know, how do you train for hard rock? So. So uh, yeah. how did you train for hard rock?
1: Living in Florida.
2: <laughs> so thankfully I I did have to do some qualifiers to get there and um, I've been in Florida several years now. So I, I kind of had to learn the hard way because I still wanted to continue ultra running. And I've never been a fan of the, like, I want to do ultra running just because I want to do something hard and run five mile loops for a hundred miles and pick a flat race. I always wanted to go to the mountainous spots and the really pretty areas. And um, so When I first moved to Florida, I I think I did a 50K and uh, not in Florida. It was in, maybe it was in California, like out the Marin area or San Francisco. One of those were like real runnable trails, but still a ton of elevation gain. And uh, we went out there for vacation and I hopped in 50K out there and um, had just been running the local trails and stuff in Florida to train for it. And I want to say that 50K had like 7,000 feet of climbing, something like that. And I never knew what blown quads were. <laughs> um, I'm my kind of running is I'm, I love climbing because obviously mountaineering and that kind of stuff, but I'm actually a really strong descender. I love descending, just bombing downhills. And so I went into this kind of real runnable race in California, this 50 K and I'm like bombing these runnable downhills, like thousands of feet, just bombing down them. And then I'm like, 20 miles in, I'm like, I don't know what's happening to my quad. Like, I'm literally walking these super easy downhills because my quads are just totally blown. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's the difference when you live in Florida. And then you got to go try and do something with a ton of elevation gain. So I learned real quick, like something has to change, you got to train differently. And so I started to learn that, you not only have to find any elevation gain that you can but i started using the weight room um, and so i did a lot of core work and i was literally like getting in squat rack and doing like weighted squats and just to kind of build up my quads and really strengthen them um so i tried that um, for my next kind of hundred mile race i don't remember which one that was um but yeah i just kind of got in the weight room uh doing um you know, getting on the stairs and just kind of like up, down, up, down, up, down, almost like plyometrics and stuff, kind of building up the, the quads and the hamstrings and the glutes, all that. And um, I did that for my next hundred and didn't have any issues with quads. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so I did that for the next race and didn't have any issues with my quads being blown or anything like that. Um, and it was still a little bit tricky to learn, you know, teach your muscles, all the, the climbing that's in these races. Cause even the hard rock qualifiers have 20,000 feet of climbing. Um, and that's just really hard to simulate being in Florida. Um, the nice thing is I live in Tallahassee, Florida, which is the Northern part of the state kind of in the panhandle. And it's real close to the Georgia border. And so Tallahassee is, probably one of the hillier spots in all of Florida. There's not a ton of elevation gain, but the trails are pretty rolling. And so you can get some of that. And there's actually a state park about an hour west of me called Torreya State Park. And it's along this river and the trail kind of runs up and down these like river bluffs. And surprisingly, um, there used to be a race out there until one of the hurricanes hit and really kind of destroyed that park pretty bad which is is sad but it is now starting to come back Uh, but there was a 50k race out there that I used to use as training and uh, it probably had about 4,000 feet of climbing which for Florida that's pretty significant Um, so I would go out there pretty often um, and kind of train up my legs that way so uh, for hard rock I started to kind of I started to go back out there and, and train there and then I like to do training camps, kind of like my own training camps. And so I usually go to North Georgia for that. So you have like Vogel State Park. You can go up there up in the North Georgia mountains and really just start running on all kinds of really tough trail. And Georgia, man, has some really technical trails and their climbs are kind of straight up and straight down. There's no real switchbacks. Um, And so I like to kind of do training camps and just go camping for three or four days, like a long weekend, and then just. Start pounding out the mileage each day. Well, Georgia's Um,
0: got some really tough races too, like the yeah, yeah. Jewel and Georgia Jewel, and yeah,
2: they got some, uh, yeah, Georgia Death Race, yeah, all those are kind of in the same area, really pretty close to where the Appalachian Trail starts,
0: yeah. I was like, Um, yeah, the AT is there too, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, so North Georgia is probably five to six hours from where I'm at at, drive so not not too bad. You know, I can go up there. Um, obviously with wife and kids and all that, you gotta kind of, I gotta have to plan it out and like, all right, this far out in advance. Hey, I'm, I gotta try and get out there or else I'm, will not be able to finish hard rock. I yeah. did in the yeah. training, you know? <laughs> um, and so thankfully I have a wife that really understands my appreciation for doing these types of things Um, she's always been supportive, so she's like, yeah, we'll figure it out, you know? And so, um, yeah, I used, I used Georgia, um, as some really good training grounds and then really just kind of, again, getting in the weight room, training my legs that way. And then hard rock was a little bit tricky one to figure out because I'm usually pretty good at guessing what I think my finishing time could be or what my potential could be at any given race with hard rock, you just have such high elevation, such big elevation gain. And then you just have this really long cutoff of 48 hours. Um, and you you don't really know how your body's going to react in a race like that. So it was really kind of hard for me to figure out what I thought was a good goal, uh, for the other than like, obviously finishing the race. (laughs) Um, but I, what I had kind of told myself is what I think is the most important is being acclimated and it's not a fast race and so i kind of told myself there's a ton of hiking miles obviously in hard rock Um, you can't just run up these mountains unless you're killing Journay, um and some (laughs) of these other french guys (laughs) but uh so I, i i kind of trained a little bit differently i started hiking a lot more um like fast hiking even when i even on some of these local Florida trails where if running would have been much easier. I'm like, I'm just going to hike really fast today. That's all I'm going to do um, to kind of work different muscles because hiking using a little bit different muscles than you are running, you know, you're using a little bit, maybe more of your hip flexors and stuff like that. So kind of still all wearing like my running vest and all that, but I'm just going to go out with trekking poles and hike real fast and find some Hills and and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, really, I was, kind of doing a little bit different training than I usually do. So it was a really hard one to kind of figure out, man, am I actually going to be able to finish this thing living in the place that I do? <laughs> um
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you've you've been up to elevation before with when you were doing your mountaineering. Was that a concern? Was, you know, being at over, you know, 10,000 feet for the majority of the race?
2: So I, I do think that's a big advantage um for me was, being used to altitude um and living in living out west for a while and climbing mountains and I had climbed Denali and and all that beforehand. And so I was able to figure out what my body does at altitude because usually what I tell people is altitude affects everybody totally differently. I mean everybody's body is different and you kind of hear the same sort of I don't know I, I usually say the altitude research is a little bit anecdotal. Um, there is science out there obviously but it's still like you know the two things you usually hear as a runner is you need to be out there at least two weeks to fully acclimate or show up the day before and get after it <laughs> and uh I don't I don't really I don't really believe that second one I don't really believe you should just show up the day before I I think anybody could finish any race at any given time but the the idea behind just showing up the day before is, your body won't be as affected by altitude sickness uh, because you're just there so quick um but in my personal experience with my body I've noticed that even if I'm there three or four days that's a huge difference than me just showing up the day before and the way I usually base it off of is my resting heart rate so if I show up to say 10 you know I go to Leadville at ten thousand feet the first day I'm there I notice my resting heart rate is much higher than it usually is which is Obvious. Um, but each night I spend at altitude, it's a little bit lower, it's a little bit lower, it's a little bit lower. Um and I don't, you know, if I just went and ran straight away, like I'm sucking wind, I'm getting the headaches, I'm getting not na- nausea, all that. Um, so I had always kind of thought whenever I do get into hard rock, I want to go out early, as early as possible, um, within it being reasonable with having a family and all that kind of stuff. But I knew like I, that is a huge factor is if you're more acclimated than others, you're going to feel much better. Um, and then again, having kind of those hiking muscles and kind of different muscles worked out beforehand, um, with, was kind of the advantage I saw. So yeah, I, I ended up going out July 4th, and the race was July 14th. So I got there about 10 days early, which is pretty significant. Um, and for me, I felt like, yeah, that's that'll get me real close to almost almost fully acclimated. Now, the two weeks is, is pretty normal. Uh, most research does say you'll be fully acclimated anywhere from like two to three weeks being out at altitude. So I thought 10 days, well, you're at least getting pretty close. Um, and so... I was able to get out there and then another cool thing they did this year was they did some orientation hikes um, beforehand and they had some of the veterans hard rock veterans leading those hikes so that was really cool so I got out there the fourth they had already started a bunch of them and basically what they did was. um, They started them early enough to where whoever wanted to go early enough could hike the entire course before the race started. Um, And so some people literally hiked the entire course before they even ran the race wow! Um, and so people kind of joke like oh yeah when you go to hard rock you don't taper (laughs) because everybody wants to get out there and get on the course and see it and and uh so when I got there on the fourth they did a hike the fifth the sixth and the seventh so I got three days of it so that I pretty much did 30 I can't remember 30 plus 35 miles in like three days um which is not a little when you're talking about you're on the hard rock course I mean any one of those days is like an epic hiking adventure for anybody you know um and so i felt great on on those hikes which was pretty surprising but what i did start to realize was my body was not recovering from those hikes as quick as i thought it was because i was sleeping at such high altitude um sleeping near silver i mean silverton's 9200 feet i think um and i was sleeping some spots almost ten thousand feet um and so those hikes, I think, were really good and helping that acclimation process. But then you have to factor in, like, yeah, you're not necessarily tapering. You're getting out there on the course and kind of beating up the legs a little bit. So um, going into the race, I was a little bit nervous because I was like, oh, man, my, I'm not recovering as fast as I was hoping. Um, and they they stopped those hikes, I think, the Monday of the race. And the race is on a Friday. And they, I think the last one was on the Monday. Before the race. So I had like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to kind of recover. <laughs> was
1: that <laughs> recover. your, uh, recover, right? Recover before yeah. the big one. Was yeah. that your, uh, was that your first time in the San Juan's?
2: So I'd spent a little bit of time in the San Juan's, not a ton. Um, I'd been out to URA before just because it's a cool town and kind of hiking around and climbing around that area. Um, so I'd been there before, uh, but never just like fully entrenched in the mountains out there. And, uh, it's definitely like, that's my scene, man. Like, you know, Colorado has amazing mountains everywhere, but it's that little pocket in the San Juans out in the Southwest Colorado, where it just looks different. They're just these jagged rugged mountains and they call Uray the Switzerland of America. It almost looks more European looks. It just, they're just different mountains and they're, they're incredible. Um, but it was really neat to just kind of be out there for 10 days, basically camping out every, every day, just hanging out in these little towns and kind of, that's how they kind of build that hard rock community. Everybody kind of goes out early and hangs out and getting out in the mountains together.
1: So why don't you run us through, you know, the morning of race day and how you felt and prepared and all
2: that. Yeah. So usually my, my family likes to come out to these races. They're, they're, I have my, like my parents, uh, my, my brother and sister, and, um, I, you know, you obviously have friends that are like, man, it's taking so long. I want to go out there. So there's a little bit of all of that going on. Like, oh yeah, I got all these people here for me, which I'm a big family guy and friends. I, I love all that, but there is a little bit of added, like, oh yeah, you know, there's a kind of a lot going on that morning. And I didn't get a ton of sleep the night before, which going through the race, you can, you can see did not help. The cause of getting a good finish, but uh, I didn't get a ton of sleep, which is pretty normal, I guess, for most races. But, um, yeah, and then the, the race kind of freaks you out because they're constantly like, you better get here on time or someone could take your spot, which has happened before. Like, if you don't show up to check in, they'll, they'll grab somebody off the wait list. And so they kind of freak everybody out. They're like, oh, man, you could hit traffic on the highway here. Boulder could fall on the highway. And then, you, you know, you're sitting in traffic, you know. Yeah, there's they're people like, like
0: standing there with their packs on that are waitlisted, <laughs> like ready to go.
2: Yeah. so Which actually works because everybody gets there real early. <laughs> so then, you know. In the, you get there nice and early and then you're just all standing around at the gym uh, like ready to go <laughs> but um yes yeah, so I got to the gym probably 45 minutes to an hour early and uh just hanging out and it's a really unique scene I mean it's it's this race that people in the ultra world everybody's heard about it you've you've now seen the YouTube films and all, and all this stuff there's a lot of hubbub around it nowadays um but you're just in this little old mining town right and it's like the town is either like these pretty gruff people that live there year-round that are kind of unique or tourists that come in on the Silverton Durango train that just hop (laughs) off to go drink some coffee and shop some trinket shops and then leave and some endurance athletes and that's really it so you kind (laughs) of have a combo of all three of them like hanging out in this little town and um you know, leave it to the ultra world. It's, it's ultra running at, at the heart of it, where it's, you know, you're standing next to the best in the sport. You know, I'm standing next to Dylan Bowman and Courtney DeWalter and like all these people that ran it this year. And, uh, it's not a big deal. It's like, I'm not, I'm not racing. I'm not racing me. We're not, no one's really racing each other. You're just out there to go do something really hard in a beautiful place. And it almost just kind of feels like this group run where a bunch of people showed up like, oh man, a lot of people showed up for the group run this morning. You know. They've been waiting 10 years for this group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just a little bit more electricity to it, you know. Like, oh yeah. Um, but you know, I've told people, you know, so many, so many people ask, what, what is it that makes hard rock special? You know, you hear that all the time. And and you know, you hear you hear the Killian journeys and all these people talk about like the community. It's the community. And I, I always just kind of kept thinking, like, what what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And so, I really did pay attention when I was there, especially being there ten days early. Like, what does building that community mean, and why? What does keep drawing people back? And, you know, I really think it starts with, and I don't think this guy gets enough credit, but Dale Garland, the run director. Um, I think it starts with him. And it's like when you think about anything, when you're trying to build a culture. It starts with the person at the top. And I think Dale's been the run director since the start of the race. And I don't think he's ever run it, which is kind of interesting, too. Um, and he's a he's just this really nice, humble guy. He's always smiling, super nice to everybody. And uh, when he talks about runners or the race, he almost always like chokes up talking about it. It's like he's talking about a family member. He's talking about a friend. And I think that kind of trickles down to the Hard Rock veterans. It's like when they talk about it, it's just like there's so much appreciation to the people that want to be there to do it and like kind of helping the next people get their first finish. And it's really built almost kind of this family culture of when you're there, man, we're all just out here on a really hard group run and man, this is going to be awesome and hope you have a good day and we're going to help you get there. And, you know, it, it is a really neat kind of, and a lot of that stems from just ultra running in general. I mean, what sport is like it where you're just, you're running next to the the best people in the sport and it just seems normal. And yeah. they're like, I've been at like that very first Rocky raccoon I did. It was a long time ago. So you had guys like you had, um, you had Tony Krupicka, Scott Jurek, Carl Meltzer, Ian Sharman. There was like all these top guys at this race in, in Texas randomly. And, uh, it was my first hundred and I barely knew who most of these guys were. And there you do 20, you do five, 20 mile loops. And, uh, I was running this race, totally getting demoralized. And these guys are like lapping me, they're <laughs> racing each other. They all went out there cause they wanted to, I think, run a really fast hundred, um, and if you don't know this story, I think Ian Sharm, it was when Ian Sharman, no one knew who Ian Sharman was. And he won Rocky Raccoon in like 12 hours and 48 minutes or something. I think it's what his time was, something crazy. And uh, these guys like Tony Kropischke are like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> and uh, But what was crazy about that race was they would come running around and they would be encouraging me. I'm like, like, oh man, these are like the big, big wigs of the sport. And they'd be like, come on, man, come on, you can keep going. Like, to me, you know, like the best guys in the sport are being, you know, positive, encouraging to the back of the Packer guy. And, uh, that's just the sport in general. And I think hard rock is even to the extreme of that, like just everybody's there to see each other finish and, and just do this really hard thing. Um, so the start of that race is pretty, pretty unique. Um, it doesn't feel like you know, the UTMVs of the world when now there's like thousands of people at the start line and it's this big media frenzy
1: and and all that, you know? So, oh, I lost my train of thought, but uh, Justin and I have talked about this before where, you know, ultra running is you could be, you know, like you were saying, at the start line next to elites, to whoever, and casual conversations are going on. It's like these people aren't on a different level or anything they just treat everyone pretty much equally so that's that's cool to hear about you know what you saw at hard rock the times that i've gone to hard rock to spectate um i would i went into the into the high school and we're just hanging out and right before the start it was just like the calm before the storm but everyone was just so low-key and just hanging out i was just like this is amazing
0: so you're saying there was no leg swinging going on or
1: <laughs> only, only if Jim Wamsley's there, he wasn't there. So. Yeah, I didn't see what he went doing. Like, you know, the running up and down the road to get warmed up or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. It's more like a guy like, uh, you know, petting his dog on his
2: tailgate and then, Oh, oh we're ready to start. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forgot that was today.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I've got this funny story. I got to tell real quick. The year that uh, Killian messed up his shoulder, I was there and uh, we had been out just spectating all day. And I came back and I parked right off the course in Silverton and uh, I left my, I had a Subaru at the time and I left the the hatch open. Me and my dog were just lying back in there and I passed out. I think it was like two or three in the morning when I finally fell asleep. Then I get up and my dog's not around. And I'm like, oh, man, where's my dog at? So I go wandering around looking for my dog. So I go in the high school and my dog had been in there for like three hours. The the girl was telling me she's like, yeah, she was just sitting here. Been feeding her. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. She's like, she's OK. She's like, there's other random dogs. We don't know who they belong to in here either. <laughs> I was like, only a hard rock. Is that OK? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's just dogs running around, hanging out, yeah, getting food yeah, from exactly. the volunteers. Try that at yeah, Boston. Exact. <laughs> right, she would have been gone. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's
1: awesome. Uh, so tell us about you know the start and how the first few miles were going and how you were feeling and your excitement level and all that.
2: Yeah, so i I found myself at the very front of the start line oh wow <laughs> it's pretty fun. it's pretty funny too you don't even know where the race starts like they just tell you yeah go outside and you're out front of the gym and uh like I think I probably thought I was in the back but I was actually in the front and then there's like then Dale walked up I'm like all right we're about to get started. I'm like wait I'm in the front <laughs> and, uh, and uh so yeah it's funny I'm like standing next to all the elites and uh I mean there's a lot of international runners there's a woman that came from Japan and uh the guy that won the race this year, he was French, and uh, so some some of them didn't barely speak English, and uh, you're just all standing up there. At the, well, <laughs> me and them standing all up there at the front of the line, and. Uh, You know, it's Dale pretty much saying like, see you guys later. All right, go. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we all start running and uh, there's, you know, some locals out there cheering everybody. And then obviously you have spectators and stuff and you're pretty much starting right at sunrise, um, chilly morning. And um, man, it's beautiful. You get to the outskirts of town and immediately start climbing. (laughs) And so I, I think the, the very start of the race, you go from like 9,200 in Silverton, you're going right up to like 13,000 feet. You're immediately doing this big old climb. And, uh, I didn't feel great at the start. And I, again, I think it kind of went back to like, yeah, I probably should have got a little more tapering in, but, um, yeah, I just did my legs felt a little, almost like kind of the dead legs, you know, I just didn't feel super spry. Um, but I've done enough hundred milers at this point that You know, you always just kind of tell yourself, hey, I can turn it around, you know, just kind of keep moving until it turns around. And, you know, I've done races where it felt terrible for the first 50K and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel great. You know, so I was just kind of telling myself, hey, it is what it it is, what it is. Like, just keep moving until you start feeling better. Um, But man, that first climb is incredible. It's beautiful. Again, it's like the first climb, you you go up to 13,000 feet. It's um, a little giant. And then you descend down into Cunningham. And I want to say that's like about nine miles total to go up and down to the next, to the first aid station. And it's like, if that was anybody's just normal hike, I'm just (laughs) out here to go hike. It would be like the most incredible thing ever. I mean, most incredible views ever when you get up to the top of Little Giant and especially like, you know, 7, 8 a.m. or whatever it is. And uh, man, I was just like, this is, this is why. People want to do this race. It is just like incredible looking all around. And then that descent down into Cunningham is really steep. Just and I love technical stuff and I love the descent. So I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. But I just kind of knew, I just told myself, man, I'm just going to go so easy, like almost too easy. Like just keep it super comfortable. Um, even though anytime you're moving at 12, 13,000 feet, your heart rate's starting to get pretty high, no matter what speed you're moving. Um, but you know, I had some veterans talking to me, um, throughout the week since I'd gotten there early and, um, and those guys are a wealth of knowledge and they love talking about the race and they love giving their tips and all that stuff. So just so many of them are like, you have to start slow. Like don't run the first, don't don't even pretend like you're racing the first 50 miles. Like just, keep it super chill. Like just act like you're on a nice little stroll, you know? So I kind of kept telling myself like, yep, don't need to go hard. And, uh, so yeah, I came down into Cunningham. I had some, um, friends and family there that kind of got out there. And, um, the first three miles, actually at mile three, you cross this pretty fast moving Creek. So your feet are wet and so your feet are pretty much wet the rest of the race almost (laughs) Uh, because i guess we could say uh, this year the west has gotten a ton of snow um as you guys probably know um all the ski resorts got dumped on and so there was still a ton of snow out on the course um and even like 10 days prior man there was a ton of snow and so i think even the 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 race staff was kind of like, yeah, this might get a little sketchy. And, um, so they were really trying to do work to the, to the trail and to the, uh, to the course, even all the way leading up to the day of the race, um, kind of chipping out some stuff and some sketchier sections. Um, but it was melting very fast. Um, but because there had been so much snow, they were kind of like, this is going to be a wet year. So anytime there is a lot of snow and you get all that melt, there's a ton of river crossings, ton of creek crossings, and then some sections that are just wet trail. Um, and so, yeah, that first creek crossing at like mile three was pretty swift. It was moving pretty good. And then obviously freezing cold snow melt <laughs> creek, you know. Um, but yeah, you do a huge climb out of Cunningham. And um, man, again, beautiful, just tons of wildflowers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, we kind of kept crossing these, these, these creeks and these rivers just getting wet over and over and over. And a lot of them were like thigh deep. And so right around probably mile 20 is when I started to be like, man, I actually am starting to feel pretty good now. Starting to feel like it's coming together. Um, I think part of that coincided with it's almost like you're you're taking an ice bath every time you're crossing those <laughs> creeks. And I'm like, man, it's like you're beating up your quads flying down a, a, a descent, but then you're you're icing them off when you're crossing these. Oh, creeks, so it was you know it was
0: waist deep then. Uh
2: maybe not quite waist deep, but you know, when you're going through and it's moving, it's kind of yeah. splashing up yeah. and all that. Um, so definitely calf to thigh deep oh, in a wow. lot of spots. Okay. Yeah, well. Wow. Um and uh, and it ended up being. I think they said the hottest year ever. And Mm. you had the snow. So um, (laughs) me coming from Florida, I'm like, okay, hot. I mean, it's, it's not that hot, but everybody that's been at altitude knows it's a little bit different type of heat. You know, you get up 12, 13,000 feet and that sun is just beating down on you. And then it's like five or 10% humidity, just so dry. Um, So that was really had a lot of people struggling, you know, kind of cramping and stuff like that. It was just really hot. Um, So when I was going into the rivers, I was purposely like getting my hat wet, get myself wet, get kind of getting everything wet, Um, kind of learning from I've done Western States before. So kind of learning some of those those uh, cooling techniques, you know, just kind of get your hat wet, get different areas wet to just kind of keep you cool. Um, And I was purposely doing that as I was going through. And so. Um. Yeah. So I want to say around mile twenty, I'm starting to feel like oh yeah. And it, I think that coincided too. With, surprisingly, there were some runnable sections um, right around kind of the twenty mile mark, which I hadn't done that part of the course yet. And I was kind of surprised, by it kind of took me like oh man, I'm kind of running through this valley and it's kind of rolling, but it was like real runnable. So from when I started off when I didn't feel great, my climbing was real slow. I had started to kind of gain some time and kind of my, my two main goals for the race was obviously one, finish, and two, I did not want to go into a second night. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I do not want to run in the middle of the night, the second <laughs> night, you know? So I was like, if I can finish in like 38, 39 hours, um, then that's pretty much sunset um, on that second day. I was like, oh, that'd be perfect you know? Um, so I was trying to keep like that 38, 39 hour pace. And so at that time I was keeping up with that pretty good. Um, until you get to, I think it's Sherman, which is at mile like 30, so basically like 50 K. Um, I was like, what race I don't think there's any other race like this where you get to like the 50k mark of the race and you're like, let's go climb a 14,000 foot peak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like man, a lot of people go out to handy's Peak just to climb a 14er. You know, like yeah. we've done 30 something <laughs> miles just to get to the base of this mountain, <laughs> and, uh, and it's not an easy 30 whatever miles. You know, <clears throat> um so man, that was that was probably my low point of the entire race was going up handies. And uh from talking to some of the veteran guys, the race in this direction. Um, so if you don't know, every year the race changes directions. So it runs clockwise and next year it'll run counterclockwise. Um and so in this direction, they're like handy's peak is a really tough climb. Um just because it's more loose, it's kind of more scree, it's a little bit steeper. Um and I was like, man, this is this is brutal. I mean all day my legs felt okay but like my climbing was really slow so pretty much i was climbing really slow all day and then i'd make up time on the down because i was running the down a lot of people were walking the downs Mm. and i would just go right i was passing people on the down just because that's where i was making up all my time but um yeah i go get up to the top of handies and i was going slower than i was was hoping so i got to the top of handies right at sunset which was incredible i mean you could like see all around 360 degree views of the most beautiful sunset um but the race is just relentless because i'm like all right let's get off this mountain let's get down you know <laughs> i start descending and then if you ever look at like the hard rock elevation profile Anything that's like a six or 700 foot climb, something like, barely even shows up on the elevation. <laughs> yeah, <program>. yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, oh, man, you just descend off a of handies and let's get to the next aid station. So you descend off like 2000 feet and it now has turned dark. I get my headlamp out and I'm at the time it was only me out there. There was no other runners real close to me. So I'm like, oh, this is sweet, you know, just out here, this bunch of stars, this is amazing. I'm just gonna descend down to the aid station. And I kind of like look up and all of a sudden I see like some headlamps way up on this ridge. And I'm like, oh, those must just be like spectators or people camping out like what is what is that and i'm like oh crap like it's like a 700 foot climb that you got to do before you get to the, uh, the aid station you know and i'm like oh my gosh this thing is relentless like you just think like oh let's bomb down this thing and they're like oh no that's just a quick little like 700 foot climb at like 12,500, you know um and so uh yeah so then It started to get real cold just finally got to um animus forks which is kind of a new aid station they have um trying to think i think that's mile 44 and that's where i was starting to get kind of like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this thing because i was climbing (laughs) so slow and uh you know, anytime you come to the eights you have like these veterans that have run Hard Rock working these aid stations and a bunch of other volunteers that are amazing, uh, most amazing volunteers. They they want concierge service. Like every runner gets a volunteer when you come into an aid station is basically how Hard Rock wants it. And so you come in like, what do you need? This, And they're like all helping you fill your bottles and all that stuff. But all these Hard Rock veterans would come in. They're just like, no, man, you're going to finish this. You just got to keep moving. You, you can't stop. You just got to keep moving. You're going to fit in my head. I'm thinking like, you don't know how slow I'm climbing, man. I don't. <laughs> you know, it's already starting to play those games in your, in your, in like, I'm telling you, I've never dnf hundred and I'm always like, I'm not going to DNF. I'm going to finish this race. And, but it starts just rolling around in your head. You're tired, you're sleep deprived. You're just like, I'm climbing so slow. They don't know what they're talking about, you know? Um, so, yeah you're just kind of playing those mental games in your head
1: so yeah just keep keep on going i mean (laughs) you 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 had me interested just keep on going (laughs) (laughs) i was just listening (laughs) yeah i was talking so i don't know if you had anything to add but no (laughs) yeah
2: um so yeah that animus forks mile 44 um it's really it that's where it really started notice like man it's getting cold out here so i'm like literally putting on like a down jacket now i'm not used to the the cool weather being in florida but um everybody's just kind of adding layers and um some sections that kind of surprised me too is i didn't realize there was going to be as much jeep road as there was so like leaving animus you go up to engineer pass and that's almost all jeep road um and so it was like kind of winding up this Jeep road and again, still climbing really slow. And then this year in that direction, you could pick up a pacer at animus forks. I picked up a pacer buddy of mine um, and we're heading up this Jeep road and uh, man, it just felt like the climb was hours and hours and hours long. And I'm like, kind of like nodding off. I'm like getting so tired and I'm like weaving on the road. And so finally my buddy was like, Hey man, why don't I stand on the outside of the road? Cause there was like a big drop-off <laughs> and I'm like weaving around, like kind of sleep deprived. And he's like, I'll stand on the outside of the road so that you can stay on the inside. And like, I don't want you flying off the cliff. You know? <laughs> and, uh, um, and then get to engineer. There's an aid station there. Um, let's see, that's I'm trying to remember. I think that's right around almost 50 miles or somewhere close to that. Knowing that, oh man, once you get there, it's like a, like a 5,000 foot descent down into your array. So I was like, I just got to get there and then, you know, get some calories and then just bomb that descent. Um, what I didn't know was that is a really technical section and it was <laughs> super dark outside. So I did have a, a, a hard rock veteran tell me before the race, he was like, Hey, there's this one section before you get to your ray. I think they call it the shelf trail. He's like, do not run that section. I'm like, what do you mean don't run that section? He's like, no, especially at night. Do not run that section. And I was like, what do you, you know, he's like, no, it's it's pretty exposed. I'm like, man, that, that doesn't bother me, you know, when we get there. And it's like, it didn't scare me. I thought it was amazing. But I'm like, yeah, one little trip. You can go off the side of the cliff, like 500 yeah. feet, you know? Yeah and it's real loose rock and scree and stuff um it's a good trail but it's like it's pretty technical stuff and so it's a little bit different when you're like been awake for a bunch of hours and it's the (laughs) middle of the night and you're like yeah i probably shouldn't run this section (laughs)
1: yeah that's that's a gnarly section right there
2: (laughs) yeah and a lot of people you know honestly i don't ever remember hearing people talk about like how treacherous hard rock is everyone just talks about how hard it is obviously Mm -hmm. there's a few sections of trail where you're like, yeah, this is pretty treacherous because some people get to hard rock and they're strictly like runners. They're not necessarily like mountain, you know, mountaineers. Um, there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit different mindset there. As a mountaineer, you've been in all kinds of terrain, you're, you're boulder hopping and you're getting through, you're going through scree fields and you're climbing steep faces and you're maybe a little bit more used to exposure. But there's some people out there that or more in the running community they're like <laughs> what is this you know they're like this is nuts you know i i, I even think of a couple of the uh, french french people so i was i think a french woman got second place um in the woman's category i i think they said afterwards she was like man this is dangerous what like when she finished she was like <laughs> nobody told me that <laughs> you know, now they're also running much faster <laughs> yeah so but uh Yeah, it's, there's some sections you're like, yeah, man, that's pretty treacherous. Um, But the descent down into Ure was pretty cool because it was dark and um, you're way above the city. So you can see the city lights like out ahead. So you're like, oh man, that's, that's where I'm headed. You know, you can see it way down below. Um, And so me and my pacer, were just kind of cruising, jogging the, the descent all the way down into Ure and then. Um, Something you start to realize too is you feel terrible on the ups, obviously because you're gaining altitude, and that altitude's kind of affecting your body. So you get to the top and you're starting to play those games in your head, like, man, I don't know if I can finish this. Oh man, I'm going to quit at the next aid station. <laughs> but then you start descending and you're starting to feel better because you're getting to a lower altitude. So it's funny how hard rock works because then you get into your area and like, Oh man,
0: I feel great. you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, Oh wait, I got another 5,000 foot climb to get out of here. You know? <laughs> but um, your is a great spot. It's, the towns there, the volunteers are great. They got a whole huge setup there with they're making burgers and they got all kinds of food going. Yeah. I've um, heard
0: that your aid station is like, that's legit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, all the, even the smaller aid stations, yeah. they got a lot of really good stuff going on. I mean, they, the each aid station has a themed food that they make. Yeah. And, uh, and they try and make it like real special and, now, the funny thing about that is they call it the culinary tour of the San Juans. <laughs> so all the stations you <laughs> got like so it beforehand, you're like, oh, that's amazing. Now at the time, you're like, I can't eat any of this food because I'm nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just staring at like the pumpkin pies, and they man, they smoke, I don't know how many pounds of brisket, and like, <laughs> and I'm like I can't eat any of this food. <laughs> but uh Yeah, you're Ray. Um, I just kind of sat on a cot. It's funny. I think it was like 5 a.m. and I'm like, it it was at that time I started to kind of feel like where I was getting a little bit nauseous, like not a lot of solid foods wanting to go in. I wasn't like puking or anything, but I could just tell like, oh yeah, my body's not wanting this solid food. So I was like, man, I'm going to try and get in a burger. So I just took like the meat without the bun or anything. It was just like eating chunks of, Hamburger meat and then like chasing it down with Coke at like 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm,
1: like, I'm like, this is so
2: weird. <laughs>
1: and, uh, in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, Someone uh, who's
0: not an ultra runner will never understand that. Eating a burger <laughs> and drinking Coke at 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's because exactly. you wanted to throw up.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
0: you're gagging on every bite. Probably, right.
2: Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. And, uh, another cool thing at that aid station was, and I don't even know, you guys may know Billy Simpson. He's kind of a hard rock veteran. I think he's finished the race like 10 times. He's kind of always been around the race and, uh, he was at the aid state and I don't even know if he was volunteering. He may just been out there, but, uh, Billy Simpson kind of walks up and he's like, Hey man, you're going to finish. He's from like Memphis. So he's got this like country accent and he's like, man, you're going to finish, you know, you just got to get out of here keep moving, you know, and, uh, (laughs) And again, in my head, I'm thinking, man, he doesn't know how slow I'm climbing. I, You know, I'm like <laughs> playing all these games in my head. You know? But he's like, no, man, you just got to keep moving. If you keep moving, you're going to finish. And they all know that that 48 hour cutoff is, I wouldn't say it's very lenient, but it that's a long cutoff. Yeah. So it really is like, if you can just keep moving, you're going to finish. I mean, if you had to power hike the whole thing, you could finish as long as you're moving well. Um, and you're not just like taking all this time at all the aid stations so they constantly just like no you got to keep you can't just sit here and like not hope you don't feel nauseous you just got to keep moving you know and uh the funny thing too he was like hey there's a 62 year old lady over there and she's about to leave the aid station so you better get out (laughs) and i'm like like, you know that 62 year old lady is right it's like it was pam reed she's like legend of ultra running you know so had Pam done Reed. Western
0: States and uh, Badwater the weeks prior to it. so Yeah, yeah you exactly.
2: Know. So, so in a 20-day period, she did Western States, Badwater, and Hard Rock. Yeah. So she was on her third race in twenty <laughs> in like 19 days or whatever. And so I'm moving as fast as Pam Reed. Is 62 and has done all these races. And, uh, you know, nothing against Pam Reed, but she's older than I am. <laughs> and uh, – but you – there was something about, like, I ran a lot with her and around her during the race. And there is something about, like, you can just tell it's in her, like, she's not going to give up. She's got this grit. She didn't want me to pass her. <laughs> and like, you, you could just you could just see it in her, like, because, like, she would pass me on the ups and I would run by her on the downs. And, like, when I'm coming down, she, like, did not like that I was <laughs> wanting to run by her. That's funny. Like, yeah, she's got, like, that grit in her, you know, that's that's what it takes to be able to. do the kind of stuff she's doing but yeah billy's like hey man you better get out of here that lady's about to leave (laughs) (laughs) i'm like all right so i pick up my brother there in your ray and we make our way out and it really is that you start playing games in your head because the three um the three days of hiking i did before the race was basically from your ray to the finish now we we drove up a little bit started up a little bit higher above your ray but um, I never wanted to really uh, start thinking too much about what was ahead because everybody knows in like the ultra world, you can't do that. You just got to yeah. bite it off in chunks. You can't really think about what you have ahead. But I had just done not that 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 not that far earlier those miles that we have left. And I did them over three days. So at one point it popped in my head. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to do everything that I did in three days in one go and it was like (laughs) seriously it was like some of the steepest longest climbs you can think of and I was just like oh my gosh this is crazy you know um but I you know there was a I'll, I'll briefly bring up there was kind of a something I thought about when I did get into the race I was like I don't want this race to just kind of be like "Oh, I trained for it I did it and now it's done right like it took me 10 years to get here (laughs) um it's kind of i kind of thought about it as like an olympic athlete they train all their lives to get the gold medal and whether they get the gold medal or not they get to the olympics they compete and then when it's over it's kind of like is that it like that's all or even if you do win the gold medal it's kind of like okay now what (laughs) you know and there's kind of a letdown right and um it's kind of known amongst the uh the, the athletic world that that kind of happens like it's big event you've been training for and then it's almost like a let down at the end when like now now what now it's over and i didn't want to feel that you know so i was like what's something that i can come up with almost like a, a, a mantra or a theme behind getting into the race and really enjoying it and like kind of taking it all in and so i thought of you know, I thought about a bunch of different stuff, but I thought of the word grateful. And I was like, man, I want to be grateful. I know this race is going to be so hard. And I know it's probably going to be the hardest ultra I've ever done. And most of the times I just tell myself, like, you just got to be tough. You know, you got to be tougher. And you just kind of t- tell these things to yourself, like, oh, you're so tough. Get out there. You could finish it. And I was like, man, hard rock's more than that. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, you got to be tough. <laughs> and so I told myself, I was like, man. I'm going to use the word grateful because when I'm out there and it gets really hard, I don't want to just stare at my feet and not pay attention to all the reason why we're out here. The San Juan's being so amazing. And, um, you know, when it got really hard, that's like, when I started to look around, I was like, Oh man, this place is incredible. You can't like take this for granted. Like there's not a lot of people that get to do this. And there's thousands of people that are trying to get into the race every year. And it's like, I'm one of the few. And, everybody, you kind of feel that amongst the field in general, because it's like, man, it's taken a lot of people to, you know, even the elites, it's taken a lot of them years and years to get into it. And you don't know if you're going to finish that day. Even if you're one of the top guys, those guys are nervous too. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if I'm going to finish today.
0: Um, That's an interesting take on your, on your mantra. Usually you hear all these like crazy ones and I, you know, everybody has their own, but I, I really appreciate you you sharing that with us. Cause it's like, you have to find a reason why you're doing that race. And and every single race is like that because we all have our low points, you know, especially in these like long ones where you go through the night and in your case, two nights, but (laughs) uh, yeah, (laughs) but, you know, you got to find those 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 reasons why you're out there. And like, you know, it's sometimes you think about what is my why and why do I do this? And, you know, sometimes I don't have that answer. And then sometimes I do. And it's, you know, in that moment, what is that moment? And, you know, for you, I, I appreciate you sharing that being grateful being out there it's taking you 10 years and hundreds if not thousands of miles well i would assume thousands of miles uh you know getting to that point and so it's not just one race that is a race that for 10 years you busted your ass to get to and so you're you you know you're living the experience that's that's why i kind of like that they don't call it a race and it's a run you know because it's it's an experience and you know be grateful that you're there i really appreciate that
2: yeah and honestly it's funny that i kind of had come up with that i guess we can just call it a theme and it's like it ended up being this race where there's a lot of hundreds that i've done where you just want it to be over you know like oh my gosh i'm in so much pain right now just you're just like counting every mile oh man that much closer to the finish that much closer to the finish that much oh this aid station's that much closer to the finish this was one like probably the only hundred where i didn't want it to end and it didn't feel comfortable <laughs> it, it hurt you know but I was just like man this is too cool of an experience being out here with these people with these volunteers in these mountains um yeah I was just like man this this is incredible like just every bit of it it was like some sections were harder than others and sometimes you, you obviously go through your low points and your was a pretty low point for me and then I picked up my brother and we started climbing out And uh, but, you know, like, oh, man, now I get to go to Kroger's Canteen. And that's uh, kind of the iconic aid station of hard rock. It's at 13000 feet in this little notch in the saddle that the only way they get aid station supplies out there is people hike them in. And the only people that can volunteer at that aid station have to have done hard rock before. And it's like um, there was a ton of snow in that section and it literally felt like mountaineering, like you're kicking steps. In this really steep face to get up to the aid station and it's like i was saying before i'm like some of the people who get into this race are runners they're not necessarily like mountaineers or climbers and in that section they're like what is this this is not a running race <laughs> 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 I, to, I always explain like you know living in florida it's really hard to explain this race to to people that don't know it um Cause for one people in Florida don't even really get mountains in general, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, it's more of a mountaineering race or it's more like a hiking race. Um, wh- wh- However you take that, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you can't just like sprint up these <laughs> mountain passes, you know, <laughs> and uh, because things like snow and they're really steep and scree fields and you take one step and you slide down three and, um, <laughs> uh yeah so kroger's man that was really cool there was it was real sunny too at that time and so all the guys are like sunbathing out there there's one guy wearing like a yeti suit or like a sasquatch suit up there <laughs> and uh, um, they're all like cheer- yeah, they can see you way down below so they're just like cheering for you like way up there um but you're kind of thinking in your head like oh man i gotta get all the way up there <laughs> <laughs> i just see these little um, dots up there <laughs> yeah, and so you get up there. They got pierogies and Jolly Ranchers, <laughs> and uh, uh and then they do the they the, the uh, te- you have, they have tequila, and they put it in like a little thing. And some people take the old tequila shot. And I was like, man, do I really want to do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like we're basically thirteen thousand feet. I don't know if that gives you the boost you need, but <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll try a little bit. You know, do it, and then you're like off the other side. And it's basically this super sketchy, slippery, scree trail off the other end. Um, and then just a huge descent down into Telluride, um, which, again, is like, would be the coolest trail you've ever done. Just that one section, you know, it's like you're just bombing off the side of this uh, mountain saddle um, down into Telluride, down into the nice ski resort of Telluride, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and then Telluride's a really nice uh, aid station. Tons of people there and food, and they got all kinds of stuff going there. And I had a bunch of family that came into Telluride, so usually the good the good places for family and friends to go as far as aid goes is like the town. so URA Telluride. Um, so it was cool to see people there. And then I picked up another buddy of mine who's a uh, who paced me out of Telluride, and uh, he's a really good runner out of Portland. Um, but he's not really a mountain guy.
3: Hmm. But
2: I was like, man, he he acclimates super well. So I'm like, dude, I want you to come out here and pace me and you get out on the course. And he's like, yeah. But it was so funny, like kind of from his perspective too, because like the climb out of Telluride, I mean, it took us hours and hours. I was climbing so slow. But it's like you climb up and you think you're like at the top, and then it, you treat you like cross this valley and then it goes up again and then you're like oh sweet we're going to be done and it crosses another valley and you go up again (laughs) and it's like oh my gosh this thing never ends he was like i've never seen anything like this (laughs) you just keep thinking it's going to end and it keeps going and uh so i get up to the top of i think it's oscar's pass right there um took us hours and hours and uh i get up there and we're like taking photos because it's amazing and I'm like, all right, I'll eat like a stroop waffle or you know, goose stroop waffle, and then we'll head down. I I take a bite and I immediately spit it out because it's like something like my body was like, uh-uh, I know I'd eaten that. And then I immediately just start dry heaving, like <laughs> at the top of this pass. I'm just like dry heaving. And uh, I think my buddy was like, What is going on? <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't like I wasn't puking or anything, I just started dry heaving. So I was like, I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and I was like just start bombing down this descent, like super sketchy boulder field and scree stuff. And, uh, I just knew I'm like, oh yeah, the altitude's starting to affect me. Cause I'm like, that's, that's the only thing it could be. Um, so I'm just kind of like dry heaving and then bomb down, get down to the aid station and, um, uh, Chapman Gulch is the aid station there. And it's the, the race has awards for like their volunteers and staff so they they award the best aid station um for the race after the race and Chapman got the best aid station award and uh it was great man they were like you want some eggs you want some bacon they are like we'll cook it up for you oh man and um they were like they have uh i think they said they've never had anybody drop there that said they wanted to drop <laughs> it's like the aid station captain there's like not here yeah like like, you're leaving (laughs) and uh so it's pretty funny because they're also like that too like nope you're not dropping here keep going (laughs) and uh so there i that's where it started to get kind of weird for me because i started like oh yeah man i haven't been able to get calories in for a long time i've just been drinking coke and like i couldn't even really get like gels or anything down and so they're like you want to make some eggs i'm like okay yeah that'd be awesome so I ate some, I ate like two or three eggs. I'm like, Oh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't dry. heaving. it felt pretty good. And then, um, I can't remember. I ate you know, something else, uh, avocado or something. And then as we're leaving, I'm like, all right, I'll grab a couple pieces of watermelon, take a bite of watermelon immediately. Just start dry heaving. It was like, my body did not want watermelon. It was like certain things that I ate immediately. My body knew like, nope. And it was, really weird i've never had that happen before Hmm. so i just start dry heaving right there at the aid station and uh (laughs) they're like they have like some medical staff there and stuff and they're really good too and they're just like oh you can lay on the cot and like you know just spend some i'm like nope (laughs) i'm not laying (laughs) if i lay on that cot i'll not get (laughs) back up (laughs) so i'm like i'm out you know and they're all laughing i'm out of here i'm not laying on that cot and uh so we we leave and uh, so this is kind of the iconic spot. When you in this direction, when you leave Chapman, you do this is like mile. I want to say eighty-seven, something around there. You do probably the hardest climb of the entire race, <laughs> and uh, you climb. <laughs> yeah, you climb a thousand. You climb uh, in three miles. You climb three thousand feet. Oh my gosh! And uh, out of this aid station, and it's um, uh, Grant Swamp Pass is the is the top. Uh, of that climb and so that's the one where you see island lake the 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 famous picture of like the turquoise lake with a little island Mm -hmm. in the middle of it so at the top of that climb is island lake and so um we're climbing out of there this is my buddy from portland i'm telling man we only got like two or three hours before it gets dark so we got to kind of move you know and uh because i didn't want to get stuck on grant swamp pass which is this the very last 400 feet of it super steep and it's one of those where you're taking a step and sliding all the way down, taking a step and sliding all the way down. And uh, I was like, he's, he's not used to that. So I'm like, we got to get up there before dark. So, um, start getting closer and closer and I'm like, we're not going to make it. So I told him, I'm like, look, man, I'm going to give you one of my trekking poles. And I showed him how to use it like an ice ax. Cause there was some snow up top too. And I was like, you go ahead since you're moving faster, you need to get up there before dark. And I was like, if you start sliding on the snow, like, you know, jabbing into the snow, use it like an ice axe, you know, and he's like, okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and uh, he, ta-
2: he takes off. And so about halfway up, I can tell it gets dark on him and I see him turn on his headlamp. I can see him up there on the pass and uh, he gets up fine from what I can tell. And then I do the rest of it like in the dark, but that spot gets a little bit sketchy too. Cause I- we had some other people or some other runners around us and you don't want to drop, rock on anybody mm-hmm. um so people below you and even people above you so like there's people above me that are not purposely but you're like kicking down rocks because it's just real loose and uh and then i'm like trying not to kick rocks on people down below me so it gets a little sketchy and i uh, trying to move through carefully and it's really like you're using hands and stuff and uh again it's like not a lot of people talk about that when they talk about hard rock but i'm like man you're like scrambling like using hands and feet and trying to get up this climb at mile almost 90 <laughs> <laughs> and uh so i i get i come like right up above kind of this cornice this kind of snow cornice at the very top and i'm like yelling at my buddy hey you there and i don't hear anything i'm like oh man i wonder if he just kept going because it was getting real cold it was just now getting dark and, uh, and I move a little bit closer, and I'm like, Aaron, and he's like, hey, I'm right here. And I, like, come up over, and he was just huddled there with, like, an emergency blanket, like, <laughs> waiting for me <laughs> for, like, 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And this is like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and then it gets dark on us on that descent, and it's a little tricky because, yeah, it's treacherous terrain, and he, which kind of stinks because it's like, well, you can't really – I was making up all my time on the descent. Now I can't really run it because it's just, it's too dangerous. Really. You can't see far enough ahead and some of the terrain and the trail and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's just, and then all I have after that's like three big climbs, (laughs) 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 so they call it three climbs. It's really one big climb that has a a a dip and then you climb on another dip, but, (laughs) um, yeah. Talk, away, talk about a way to brutally end a race is the very last climb is like no switchbacks straight up. And it's like cross country. It's like not even a trail. It's just like grass and wildflowers, like up and over this big, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. It's just oh, like, there's gosh. no trail <laughs> you know, <I'm> like, <laughs> way, to, way to end this sucker. And then you, and then you dive down, like descend for five miles to the finish. You hit, um, and, and I was uh, sleep running. <laughs> uh, I guess I should say my watch had died. And so I was kind of like, the whole time I kept thinking, man, I was running like 38, 39 hour pace for the race. So like, if I take an extra couple hours, it's not a big deal, you know? So I was like, eh, I'm climbing slope and I'm running the downs. and But I was getting so sleep deprived and like, I didn't run the descent off of Grant Swamp Pass because it got too dark and I couldn't. And, uh, I wasn't really paying attention to the clock. So I didn't know that I actually cut it as close as I did. All I knew was I usually try and finish races pretty hard. So I was like, I'm, we're going to run all the way down the descent to the finish. So my pacer, I'm like, all right, let's run this whole thing. Like, All right, let's go. So we, we were running, man, we were passing, we probably passed seven or eight people on the last little stretch of descent there. And then you hit, um, mineral Creek which is that kind of famous big river crossing that has the rope that you go across. And it was running real fast this year. And man, it was so cold that morning. And uh, then you got to cross <laughs> that. And I'm like, dude, I'm like shivering like crazy. And, uh, you know, you have two miles into town. Once you cross the river, like, all right, got two miles in and you're basically like, you can smell the finish line at that point. Um, but you, you cross the river you cross the river, and then you get across Million Dollar Highway and then you go straight up this side of this thing <laughs> to get to the trail. <laughs> and uh, every time you think like, oh, there's not another climb. And it's like, oh, well, here's a t- quick 200 foot climb up the side of this uh, cliff to get to the trail, you know, and then you do this traverse and then you get onto a Jeep road outside of Silverton. You have to climb up the Jeep road to get above Silverton to then descend down into Silverton. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And um, so, yeah, you get you get on this little single track right outside of Silverton and descend right down into town. And that was the first time I kind of like, um, my buddy, I was like, what time is it? He's like, it's 5.15. I'm like, 5.15? I was like, I didn't even know I was cutting it that close. So the rate, ra- 48 hours would be 6 six a.m. Yeah, It was 5.15. And I, I had no clue that I even cut it. I didn't know I was one of the golden hour runners. <laughs> I just you know and it's kind of scary to think about because i was just like kind of running like enjoying it and being like yeah man be grateful be out here take <laughs> pictures i was kind of just enjoying the whole thing and then didn't realize oh man i finished in 47 31 i think so nice. i had like 29 minutes to spare and uh, i was just taking it all in
0: nice <laughs>
1: how, how did you feel after you kissed the rock
2: uh i mean i, I don't want to say it was anticlimactic but it was like man this I, it was a, like I said, it was a weird feeling. It's like I never felt like that in any other race where it's just like I didn't really want it to end, but it was kind of like, oh man, now it's over. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I really did like just kind of run in and finish. I had, you know, my kids were there, my wife and family. So that was cool to see everybody. And Dale, Dale sees every finisher at the, at the finish line. So Dale gives you a hug and, um, man, it was pretty cool, but, yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't it kind of threw me threw me off a little bit. I'm like, I didn't even know I was this late coming in. But
1: <laughs> all right, I finished. <laughs> you just spent pretty much 2 days out in the San Juan's wandering around. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was kind of the crazy thing too. It's like, man, I can't
2: believe I was here 2 days ago. <laughs> like, I was in the same spot. I was,
1: I was in the same spot 2 days ago. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So after the race, how did the uh, recovery go? How long did it take you to recover? How, how'd you feel? I mean, now that I have done, a,
2: you know, I think I've done 10 hundreds at this point, I kind of just start to learn like my own body and know, like, I really don't want to do anything for like 10 days. Like, I'm not going to I like, you know, maybe hike around or play around with the kids and all that kind of get out on some trails and just walk or walk around the neighborhood, but I'm not going to like try and run or try and do anything serious at all for at least 10 days so I kind of had that mindset going into it like yep not even going to think about it um but I think hard rock's a little bit different too in that there is a there is a lot of hiking miles um you're not running a ton of it you know whereas you think about more like a flat hundred you're going to be running more of the miles this is kind of the opposite it's like you're running much fewer of the miles just because the mountainous terrain and the altitude and all that so as far as like muscles feeling beat up i really felt pretty good the next day oh. even like i was wow. sore and all that but like i was like i feel pretty good nice and then like <laughs> yeah the recovery within like that 10-day period i was like man i feel pretty good i was it's kind of shocking actually but and coming coming from florida and being able to descend the way i was like just bombing these descents and stuff uh i was kind of shocked at like oh yeah i thought at some point like I was running the sense felt really good on them, but I was like, just kind of kept thinking in the back of my mind. Oh, I bet you like mile 70, that descent, that's when the quads are going to go or, oh, mile 80. That'll <laughs> oh, be mile 80. The quads are going to, and they never did. They just kind of felt good the whole time. And then, yeah, the recovery was not that bad, which is kind of cool, which kind of shows is testament to how the body does evolve. Cause going from that first Rocky raccoon that I ever ran, where I was completely destroyed. Can I walk for like three days? then you go do hard rock and you're like ah, i feel pretty good the next day you know <laughs> but it's pretty neat how the human body can take that <laughs> make that beating
1: yeah <laughs> so now that uh you've got that 10 year uh race off your list what's next
2: yeah i've it's kind of funny because I'm like, man, I don't have to go do a hard rock qualifier. You know, it's always <laughs> like in the back of your mind. It's like, oh, I got to go. I got to go figure out what qualifier I need to do. So I didn't know this until I ran it. But they say once you finish, um, you, you qualify for three years. So like you don't have to do a qualifier for I don't have to do one for three more years. So I'm like, wow, I could kind of just go do whatever I want (laughs) and still try and get into the race if I want to. Right. So the, I did enter into the lottery Nice, (laughs) to get into it again. So it does get a little bit easier potentially of getting in once you have finished. Um, so yeah, spoiler alert, I would want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything on the calendar or anything like that. I thought about maybe like, Oh, maybe should I, do some more mountain biking or something like that just to kind of sp- break it up because um, I used to kind of do all kinds of stuff rock climbing mountain bike and I kind of got pigeonholed into trail running just because of trying to get into hard rock um, so I'm like oh now I can kind of open it up a little bit and do some other things but still still do
1: want to do hard rock again so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah I think I would, I would imagine once you once you complete it you're probably hooked forever yeah, <laughs> and no it, more. It is pretty
2: cool the way those guys handle it. Cause like the guys that have done it a bunch of times, it's like, yeah, they, they want to keep going back, but they also almost kind of like treat it like a mentorship. Like they do want to help other people, um, finish it and get into it and all that stuff. So it's like, if they don't get into it, they're almost always out there volunteering or, you know, whatever it is, just crewing, pacing, doing all kinds of stuff just to kind of help people get there. So it's, kind of like this this badge of honor like now nah, i finished even if i don't get into it and maybe i should go out there and like volunteer my time you know um so that's kind of a cool part of it
1: part of the the hard rock community now yeah <laughs> now you just got to get the other direction yeah i know that's the problem right? <laughs> then they would be the, the true hard rocker <laughs> yeah they hold that carrot out in front of you a little bit yeah. like oh well i mean you're not a true hard rocker <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh but Well, Greg, two two questions we always ask our guests is, well, the first one is, what kind of gear do you use, like from shoes, shorts, whatever, you know, vest to nutrition?
2: Yeah, um, I ran in Ultra Lone Peaks, um, the newer version, I think it's the 7, which were pretty solid. Um, Hard Rock gave us a pair of Cthulhu Gators which is a nice little swag piece. So I wore the, the gaiters over my Lone Peaks. There's just so much scree and loose stuff there that it, I don't typically run in gaiters, but that was a good way to go. Just keep all the stuff out of your shoes. And I swear by Injinjis. people that wear them love them, but like the Injinji socks. So people don't know, like the toe socks, basically. Man, ever since I started wearing those, no blisters whatsoever. So I wore one pair of socks the entire race. Our feet were wet almost the whole time. Got zero blisters, feet were totally fine. Nice. Um, so I I love in gingy socks. And then I wore um, I think the Solomon Advanced Skin 12, the little bit bigger liter capacity vest, just so I could add some extra layers in it and stuff, um, which is some soft last bottles. Um, and then I actually carried a, a Katadyn catadyne B free filter bottle. Um, This year being a wet year, um, being a lot of river crossings and stuff, um, I could take the bottle out if I needed water, just dip. And then the cap has a filter in it. So as you're drinking it, it's filtering the water. So getting thirsty out there, if if you go longer stretch, you can just dip and go, which was nice. Um, Some people were getting really dehydrated just because it was a hot year. Um, And then, yeah, I used um, Black Diamond trekking poles, the Carbon Z's, uh, used those the entire race. Um, yeah, uh, usually I, you, I do, I do pretty good with gels. Um, so I'll try and carry, um, like goo gels on me and, um, anytime I'm like not feeling great, I can always like just do a gel. I'm like, all right, quick hundred calories here and there. Now I did kind of have that weird stretch where it's like, ah, oh, nothing really feels good right now. So I was just kind of doing like ginger ale and Coke for sugar and calories. Um, and then I don't try and get like too crazy with being specific about my calorie. Like I'll just eat stuff out of the aid stations, which is good at hard rock. Cause they got all kinds of stuff, but, um, just kind of eat whatever they have and then just try and do gels. And I did experiment a little bit at hard rock with liquid calories. Um, I think I use perpetuum, which is like hammers, um, liquid calorie product, which is like, a I don't know, a couple scoops in a bottle and it gives you, I think like 300 calories. Mm. Um, but, um, so almost kind of using that instead of like having to take gels or whatever, doing that. I I do like doing that, but I, usually when I do liquid calories, I don't feel like I'm getting enough calories um, when I do it. Um, but I did experiment a little bit with that, just knowing like, Oh yeah, I probably could get nauseous out there and not want to eat. I could just do liquid calories. Um, but then when I was out there, I was like, well, I'll just drink Coke. Coke saves every time. I never, never like, drink well,
0: coke, coke ever. And then at a race, it's just like, hey, can I get an entire can of Coke? And
2: <laughs> at know. every aid station. <laughs> I'm the same way. I don't ever drink like soda, doesn't coke, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I need a quick pick-me-up at an aid station. And it's like <laughs> jugging <laughs> Coke and oh, you got Pepsi too? All right. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the second question we always ask is, you know, we're trying to grow our, our network, our platform here. And who is someone that, you know, that we should have on our podcast next? They don't have to be a runner or anything like that. You know, it could be a mentor someone somebody you look up to. Someone's got a cool story. Um, Yeah, I got, um,
2: I got some, Yeah. I got some interesting people. You can, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jennifer Farr Davis. Um, yeah, so I, have, she, I follow her. Yeah, yeah. So she, um, she set the fastest known time on the Appalachian Trail uh, for male or female, um, and had it for a lot of years until all these uh, like ultra runner type guys like Scott Jurek and Carl Meltzer wanted <laughs> to break her record, and they were literally reading her book trying to figure out how to break her record, and yeah. it took a multiple attempts, they couldn't do it. And uh, finally, it got broken. But um, she's super solid, man. She's super nice, uh, and one tough chick. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. She'd yeah. be a great guest.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll give you a few minutes to shout out whoever you want to shout out, and where people can follow you on social media. Uh yeah. So
2: um, something we didn't talk about is me and my brother have a. PBS travel show. Um, We also have one of the seasons on Amazon Prime called The High Pointers. And um, we're planning on climbing the high point in all 50 states. And then we kind of highlight cool cultural historical things in each state just to kind of show like what makes the U.S. the U.S. You know, like every state's a little bit different, how diverse the U.S. actually is. And um, so you go to our website at thehighpointers.com and um instagram facebook those ones at the high at the high pointers so
1: yeah cool well whenever you come to south dakota let me know take you up that's right like out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man. yeah you got some good not, terrain up there it's not much of a climb but <laughs> no but it's a cool spot if you yeah, ever come
0: really- up to alaska let me know i'd love to go up with you so
1: <laughs> yeah. if you're
0: yeah. gonna go I'm on done- that one to
2: get one I've done Denali once, man. I don't know if I necessarily want to do it again. <laughs> it, no, it's it's a great one. It just takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. it's tough.
1: So cool, guys. Well, Greg, thank you for coming on. That was, your uh, Hard Rock story was awesome. <laughs> I was just glued to it the whole time. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never know if like oh, are these stories that interesting, but
2: people that follow ultra, everybody, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to hear all the you're just quirky weird stories yeah exactly (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah appreciate you guys yeah well thanks greg and it was a pleasure talking to you yeah you too